to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture today and uh, try to keep it in its biblical context and, and pray that the Holy Spirit would be able to apply it to our lives. We're going to start reading in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, we know that Paul was writing this letter to the Corinthian church. This was the second letter. His first letter was uh, full of rebuke and correction and trying to explain to them. And finally, at one point, uh, a little over halfway through the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, listen, there are things going on in this church that don't even happen among the unsaved people, uh, there are some things that are going to have to be straightened out if this church is going to continue in the name, excuse me, of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus has a way of dealing with his churches, and we go to the book of Revelation and chapters 2 and 3, he's writing letters And he tells that first church, the church at Ephesus, if you don't get this straightened out, I'm going to take your candle out of the candlestick. Now, does that mean that somebody came and padlocked the door of the church at Ephesus and wouldn't let anybody come in and fired the pastor and said, there's no more church here? No. History tells us that the church of Ephesus went on for centuries. In fact, it wasn't until the Muslim... Uh, armies came in and slaughtered all the people that called themselves Christians, that there wasn't a church at Ephesus. And uh, the uh, history tells us that that church met, and they, they had some very important decisions to make. About 450 A.D., they finally came to a solid conclusion that did not change that Jesus was the Son of God, and yet God the Son, all the same time. Now, let me ask you a question. If there were that kind of questions going on in the church of Jesus Christ, how could it be Jesus' church? Uh, Let me tell you something. The doors were open. People were coming in. But there was no light. That had gone out a long time ago. And... Paul was working with the Corinthian church in his life, and he was trying to explain to them the way that things ought to be done in the church. Chapters 8, 9, and 10, talking about giving in the church. And we get up here into chapters 11 and 12, and he talks about all of the work that had to be done, and And the fact that there was some strife in this church at Corinth. There was some sin. There was actually resistance to Paul's leadership as the Apostle Paul. You know, I've had people, well, if the Apostle Paul was our pastor, we would know exactly what. No, the Apostle Paul started this church. And he was writing a letter to it because there were people who read the book. They were talking all kinds of things about the Apostle Paul. They were comparing him to other preachers and, and thinking that he came up short. And, 
And in fact, they thought that their spirituality was, was higher than Paul's was. And yet, we read the end of this chapter. I mean, just pick up a few verses here so we put this in context. Look at verse 15. Now, this is Paul speaking to the church. He said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now, aren't those strange words from the Apostle Paul? But what it's talking about was what was going on in the hearts of some of the people in the church. And we read these verses that we just read, and we don't put them and keep them in the context of everything that was going on in the church. We just say, oh, my grace is sufficient. I'm having a hard time. Uh, no, Paul wasn't just having a hard time. Paul wanted the church to know that they were dealing and doing some things right, but there were some problems still. And they needed to concentrate on what was the real problem in the church. Now, I want you to come down with me here to verse uh, 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 20. Let's just pick this one up. It says, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Now, most of the time when we read through a verse like that, we say, Oh, old English, hard to understand. Uh, let's just keep moving. No, you, you need to stop and look, even though it's worded a little difficult for what we would use in modern speech, it, it's very simple when you just stop and break it down. He says, listen, I'm coming. He said, but I'm afraid, for I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would. He said, I'm afraid when I get to Corinth, you guys aren't going to be living the way that the Bible says. I'm not going to find you the way that I want. And then he does what we would call a play on words. And he says, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. You see, there were people that accused Paul of being judgmental and mean and dogmatic and rude and crude. And, and uh, Paul said, listen, if things aren't in order when I get there, I'm not going to be Mr. Nice Guy. You see, church isn't for you. It's for Jesus. Amen? It's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to list all of these sins, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. And lest when I come again, my God, shall, uh, my God will humble me among you, that I shall bewail many that have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. And so... Before we start examining our text, let's get the overriding issue, uh, the context of what Paul is speaking in here. Paul is trying to help them understand that the important thing that has to go on in a church for a church to be a church is for individuals in that church to have enough of a relationship with God to deal with personal sin in their personal lives. How many of you have ever been offended? Uh, raise your hand if you're a human being. Uh, and the qu other question is, how many of you have ever offended anybody? Every hand ought to go up a second time. I mean, that's the way we as human beings behave. And the simplest thing to do when we have offended or are offended is to start blaming other people for what's going on. And Paul is going through this entire 
uh, a litany, list of things here of, of his service for God and how that he served. And, and uh, we'll touch on this. People talk about, all, I mean, there are books written on Paul's thorn in the flesh and how that it was some weakness. But I want, I want to challenge you. As one commentator said, he said, read through the list of everything that Paul endured. If he was some sickly, weak kind of guy, it would have killed him. Uh, this, this was not talking about that. Paul was trying to serve the Lord and he was listing his service for the Lord and saying, listen, I want you to understand. This is not just another person that's showing up in Corinth trying to help you out. He said, I am speaking as the Apostle Paul, and this is the measure of my ministry. And even though you don't love me, I'm still willing to invest my life and be spent for you so that you can learn to love God. Because when I come... Listen, when I come, I, I'm afraid I'm not going to find you the way I want to find you. And I'm afraid that when I come, we won't be able just to sit around and praise the Lord for the good things that are going on. That I'm going to have to be the Apostle Paul with authority and the terror of the Lord to get things straightened out. Now, those are some pretty harsh words. But it's in this context that Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, there is no doubt, Paul says, that he was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, how many of you have ever actually had a real thorn in your real flesh? And, and I'm not talking about the little sticker in the briar patch. Uh, does anybody know what a thorn apple tree is? That's what we called them at home. Yeah, it was a tree that grew these weird-looking little tiny apples and big spikes. I mean, some of those thorn clusters were two and three inches and, I mean, razor sharp. Uh, does anybody here remember the old gum boots? Does anybody know what those things were? Okay, I see a few heads going up. These were before they had $100 muckraker boots that you went to the sporting goods. I mean, these were the old rubber boots. And they were usually just the ugliest color of green that you could find in the world. And uh, they were cheap. That's why my dad liked them. Uh, you would put them on and you'd go outside. And uh, it could be 20 degrees outside. And you could walk through water and not a drop of water got in those boots. But they made your feet sweat. And when you climbed up in the tree, then your feet froze to the bottom of the boot. I mean, they were just almost totally worthless. And uh, I had me a pair of gum boots, and I was out hunting rabbits one day. And all of a sudden, I got a thorn in the flesh. Right through the top of my boot, right through my sock, and right through my flesh. Not the whole way through my foot but uh, into it far enough that I knew something had hit pay dirt. Uh, you know, when something like that happens, you're going to stop and think about it a moment. Uh, you're going to forget about everything else because it just plain hurts, all right? Uh, I mean, there is pain. And, and uh, have you ever thought, they, the scientists, when I was in high school, I remember hearing that our body was made up of 10 billion cells, and now they tell us that it's 3 trillion cells that make up the human body. And, and uh, uh, I, I guess we've all gotten fatter. I'm not quite sure if that's the problem or not. 
Uh, or maybe they're just understanding more about cells. I, I, uh, we'll, we'll just have to leave that to the scientists. But you only got to mess up a few of them to put pain throughout your entire body. And Paul said, there was given, unto, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, before we go any farther, if you like grammar, if you like English, read your Bible. Uh, there's a comma there, and it says, The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, if you like grammar, that's what's called an appositive. That means it's exactly the same thing. It's just stated a little differently. And... Uh, so, Paul said, there was a thorn in the flesh. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And then he says, I want you to understand this thorn in the flesh. It was the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Brother Franz talked about the buffets in, in Sunday school. Not, it's spelled the same, but it's not the same word. Though some people buffet themselves pretty good at the buffets. Uh, uh, the word buffet comes from boxing. I mean, when I was a kid, I watched Muhammad Ali and Smokin' Joe Frazier and all those fights. And today, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't watch any boxing. It's all on pay-per-view and I'm not going to do that. And there's so much garbage talk and everything connected to it. But... The idea, a boxer, someone who is a professional boxer, guess what? If they hit you, they go to prison as if they attacked you with a deadly weapon. Because a boxer can do with his fists what most people would need a club or a knife or a gun to do. They can take you apart. Literally, piece by piece. That's what the word buffet means. It means to mutilate. It means to be slapped down. To be uh, not all this fake stuff that you see. Uh, they call it wrestling, but it's not wrestling. I, I don't know what you call it. I, I call it stupid. Uh, but, I mean... The word buffet means to be hurt. And so this thorn in the flesh was the messenger of Satan to buffet, to beat the living daylights out of the Apostle Paul. Now, there's been books written on what this thorn was and how that it was uh, some ailment of his flesh. And, and one guy spent a whole page describing this eye disease that would... Uh, have running sores down your face and all this kind of stuff. And the simple truth is, the only thing we know about Paul's thorn in the flesh, that it was the messenger of Satan to buffet him. That's all we know. Anybody that tries to tell you anything else is making it up, is just guessing and conjecturing. You see, this messenger of Satan had a duty. It was to beat the living daylights out of. It was to buffet. It was to injure the Apostle Paul. Now, why was he to be injured? Why was he to be beaten this way? He said, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, let's read the next verse. It says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Uh, Paul wasn't playing games here. This was real. Whatever it was. And there have been suggestions from anything from uh, depression to uh, eye disease to gout to cancer to tumors to headaches to uh, 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 one commentator went so far to say it was a physical manifestation of the devil in Paul's presence to scare him. Um, I don't think it was any of those things. 
In fact, I think the Bible was absolutely vague on what it was because if we knew what it was, we would say, what's the big deal? I can handle that. You see, this thing troubled Paul so much that he prayed three different times that God would take it away. And it wasn't, God, please take this away. God, please take this away. God, please take this away. Oh, uh, you're not going to take it away, so I'll embrace it. Uh, No, I, I think the Apostle Paul knew how to pray, don't you? And I think this was earnest, gut-wrenching, heartfelt prayer on the part of the Apostle Paul. And he was saying, listen, God, I don't know how to deal with this. Uh, And he is writing here under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says, I know what the purpose is. I don't know how to deal with it. And here's God's answer in verse 9. And he, God said unto me, my grace, God's grace, is sufficient for thee, for my, God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. Now, this was God's answer. God said, the only way you're going to make it is by being dependent upon my grace. He said, my grace is sufficient. Let me ask you a question. How are you saved? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So, we are saved by grace. Paul was told that God's grace is sufficient for salvation... That's another passage, another sermon. He said, my grace is also sufficient for this trial, for this thing that you are going through. He said, because God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, most of the time we say, oh, yes, yes, I'm weak. Can't even get through a sermon without a sip of water. I mean, I just need help. And, you, you know, and that's not what it's talking about here. Let's take a moment on salvation. When you got saved, if you're truly saved, the Bible way. And by the way, the reason I say that is the Bible tells us there's a lot of people that think they're saved that aren't. And if I can talk you out of your salvation, that's not much of a salvation. Amen? Salvation is something that God does. When you get saved, when you are born again the Bible way, you come to God and you give up everything you are, everything you were, everything you're about, everything you think. You say, how can I do all that in one moment? Well, the man prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He got it done. Jesus said he went home justified. It's not the words. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. It's that commitment, it is that decision that we make to surrender our lives. How is God's strength happen in my weakness? I can't save myself. I am without hope. There's nothing I can do. But Jesus did it all. Jesus, I believe that you died to pay the price for my sins and that you rose again from the dead, proving that you're who you say you are, the Son of God and God the Son, And I believe that you paid the price for my sins and I ask you to save me. And what does it say? It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Not be saved as long as you do good works. Not be saved as long as you go to church. It says you, that that person shall be saved. And Paul is trying to help us understand something here. God is trying to help Paul understand something here. That just like when you got saved, God's grace was sufficient. So in this life, if it's not God's sufficient grace, it's sin. Amen? Do you get that? If you're not living by God's grace, as a Christian, you're not living right. See, Paul was listing all of the great things that God had done in his life. And then he's trying to tell and trying to help them. He said, but this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan came. He said, and the goal was to buffet me, to to beat me senseless, to get me out of the way, to, to show me. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure. What is the measure? The Bible talks a lot about measures, and maybe sometime uh, uh, preach a sermon on that, but the measure that we're measured with is the stature of the fullness of Christ. How well do you measure up, my friend? Well, I'll tell you what Paul said. He said, I don't even make the first mark on the yardstick. I don't even make the first mark in the ruler here. He said, but God's grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I'm going to have to do something here. Instead of embracing all of these great things that God has done in my life and going around and parading about everything that I know and everything I've done, he says in that second half of that verse, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. Now, let's get this last little prepositional phrase in there. For Christ's sake. Now, that applies to everything that is in there. Uh, If you go out and choose to sin and call that an infirmity, that's not what this is talking about. If you choose not to take a bath for 30 days and somebody reproaches you for stinking and for looking terrible, uh, that's not what this verse is talking about. You see, if you go out and spend all your money on lottery tickets and don't have enough money to buy your regular food, that's not the necessities that this verse is talking about. You see, it says, for Christ's sake. Well, how can I know that this infirmity, this necessity, this persecution, this reproach is for Christ's Sake. Well, that one is, I'll give you an oversimplified answer, but you got there by serving Christ. If you go out and play in traffic, I promise you, you're going to mess up the mayor's program for no traffic fatalities in New York City. Uh, You're going to have infirmity, weakness, broken bones, bruises, contusions, if you survive. But that's not for Christ's sake. 
How many of you have ever tried to serve the Lord? What is the first thing you should realize? I can't do this. But most of us who are somewhat spiritually minded go ahead and do it anyway. That's not what this verse is talking about. You see, Paul was listing all of these great things. He said, Corinthians, I'm trying to get a hold of your attention here. This is not just nobody talking to you. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who's responsible for your church. I want you to listen to me. But I want you to understand something. I want to uh, let you see a little bit of my heart, of what really makes me stick, me tick, and what makes it what I'm really about. You see, God has sent some things into my life, and I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm just going to tell you that it's like a thorn in the flesh. That it was as if the messenger of Satan himself showed to engage me in pugilistic combat. That's a boxing match. And, uh, and to do me in. And I did not have the strength to fight back. I did not have the ability to prevail. I was the one who was taking the beating. It was like the little boy came home from school, and obviously he had been in a fight, and his dad began to talk to him. And he said, son, what happened? He says, well, Johnny said some things to me at school, and I I told him he couldn't talk to me that way. And he said, and what eventually happened, I just kept bashing his fist with my face until he couldn't take it anymore. Not the way to get things done, my friend. That's what happened to Paul. And Paul said, listen, I'm going to take pleasure in my infirmities. That's weakness. That's sickness. That's inability. When you are infirm. Reproaches. That's when people say bad things about you and and, and bring up a, a poor testimony in necessities. Uh, meaning that you don't have what you need. Now, most of us in America, we have a very hard time ever finding out what a necessity is. But if you've ever pulled up at the tool booth without easy pass and no money in your pocket, you can experience just a little bit of what necessity is. Uh, I remember one of my first visits to New York City. Uh, well, it wasn't first, but it was 1990. We came up here and uh, came up here with Brother Clayton, was traveling with some other people. We crossed the Triborough Bridge, and there was a car with Canadian license plates trying to put Canadian change into the toll booth. And you can put change in there all, you can put $100, but it's not going to accept a penny of it. Uh, this was in the days before uh, what it is now. And, I mean, of course, all the fellow New Yorkers were all around uh, just cheering them on by honking horns and uh, other niceties that are involved here. But, I mean, they were, in a, uh, they were in a necessity. They were stuck. They couldn't get, they couldn't back up. They couldn't go forward. And I'm sure that before it was all over, they got a great big ticket pulling in the cash-only lane without cash to put in there. It says, necessities, persecutions. That's when somebody is really trying to hurt you and stop you. For Christ's sake, serving Christ. And it says... And distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Can I challenge you today? That in order for the messenger of Satan to buffet you, 
You don't have to be flat on your back in a hospital bed with a very poor prognosis. That for the messenger of Satan to buffet you, you don't have to be tempted with some horrible sin that's going to destroy your life. The messenger of Satan buffeting you is keeping you from serving Christ the way you should today. See, we like to take passages like this and put it in the realm of the catastrophic and the crisis. But we need to understand something here. The crisis is when I am not acting under the grace of God. Do you know that other people can be offended and hurt when you don't act under the grace of God? Guess what? If you think you can handle the situation and really help somebody, write it down. You're going to make a mess and hurt somebody. If you think you have the answer for somebody else, Time to go home. Lock yourself in a room. That's what this passage is talking about here. Because we get back to the, the overriding theme of this passage and what Paul is talking about. He says, I'm coming for a visit and I'm afraid I'm going to find things that are really a mess. And I'm afraid that you're going to find me really upset because things aren't going the way that they should. He said, I want you to know that in spite of the fact that God has done all these incredible things in my life, I can't get through a day without the grace of God being strong in my weakness. Could we have an amen on that? That's what this verse is talking about. It's not only talking about the crisis. And by the way, if you really want the messenger of Satan to buffet you, just step out of the grace. And you're going to get it. It's coming. Because our adversary as the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It says, whom resists steadfast in the faith. How do I resist him steadfast in the faith? Well, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because you see, it's His grace that forgave me for my sin. And it's His grace that will dispel and turn back the messengers of Satan and remove the thorn from the flesh that is inhibiting me from doing anything else except thinking about removing the thorn in the flesh. And he says, Therefore, I take pleasure... In these things. Now, when I am serving Christ, I am trying to do those things that Christ wants me to do. Guess what? I'm going to find out how infirm I am. You ever tried to love somebody that's unlovable? Guess what? You can't do it. But God's grace is sufficient. And if you admit you're weak, he'll let you do it. You see, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. Sometimes the Lord has to send distresses in our lives so that we'll stop trying to take care of it ourselves and have to depend on him. Sometimes he sends these things our way so that we... When Jesus comes, we'll be found as we should. And we will find Him as we hope to find Him. Amen? God's grace. Is to help me walk with Him each day.
Paul said, lest I should be exalted. He said, the moment I started thinking about myself, the moment I started thinking that God had done these great things for me, that somehow I had the answers for people. Now, let me tell you something. Paul had the answers because he had the Holy Spirit of God giving him direct revelation to write it down. Those were the answers. That's why he says, through the abundance of revelations, I had the answers. But as a human being, I started thinking they were coming from me. He said, that's when I got the living daylights knocked out of me. And he said, I went to God and I asked that he would remove this thing. And God says, wait a minute. My grace is the answer. It is sufficient. Now, there's not a one of us in here that couldn't list a whole group of people we would like to help. Amen? But until God's grace is sufficient in your life, you know, most of the greatest help that I've ever given anybody was by accident. It was in serving God and doing the things that God claims to do, not with somebody's uh, name in my mind and, and uh, or not with someone trying to help. And, and I'll tell you, there's been many times when sat down with people and just one-on-one counseled and tried to work through problems. And sometimes that doesn't work. Because if a person doesn't want to serve God on their own, you're not going to help them. And so the greatest thing you can do is make sure that that grace is sufficient, that you are weak, And walking one step at a time as the Savior would have you walk. You see, people are watching. And your walk talks a whole lot louder than your talk talks. Regardless of what anybody says. Amen? And we are all prone, just as the Corinthians were, to get the wrong idea of other people. You see, there were people in that church that worshipped the Apostle Paul, thought he was God incarnate. And there were other people in there that thought Paul could do no right and Paul was just uh, one of the most unworthy servants of the most worthy God. All this was going on in this church at the same time. Talk about a mess. And Paul said, listen, Here's what God did. Here's what God did. Here's what God did in my life. Here's, I had an abundance of revelations. But then came the thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan. And he says, you know what I'm going to embrace? I'm going to embrace my weaknesses. I'm going to embrace my infirmities. Because as long as I understand it's not about me, it's about him. I'll have His grace. And I'll have His strength. When people reproach me, and I mean, how could you get more reproach than verse 15? Paul says, uh, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I mean, uh, honestly, what was going on? What had to be going on in the Apostle Paul's soul to write those words? And we know that they were written under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, Paul says, I'll embrace the reproach because His grace is sufficient. And when I'm weak, then God's using me in necessities. Read through the chapters there. Paul talked about How did he never ask an offering of the Corinthian church until this point? And he said, that was wrong of me not to do that. He said, but I'm asking for an offering now. Read chapter 
seven uh, chapters eight, nine, and ten. And, and we go there missions conference almost every year. It doesn't matter which preacher we have. They always go back there. It is the definitive passage in the Bible. And, and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. You see, the Corinthians were worried about Paul and worried about Apollos and worried about... Peter and all these other things, Paul said, I want you to be worried about your weakness. See, they were worried about everybody else doing wrong, and certainly there were some problems that need to be straightened out in that church. And Paul said, I want you to be worried about the wrong that is in your life. Because when I come, I want to be able to enjoy the fellowship as Christians that God intends us to enjoy. Now, I want you to turn with me to to one passage, Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to read one verse. One verse here, and I hope and pray that this will tie together a lot of the things that have been said today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I really believe that what Paul was describing here is enduring the buffeting of the messenger of Satan, the the torture of this thorn in his flesh, the embracing of his infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses was actually a living commentary on what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because doesn't necessities describe poor? I mean, that's the working, that's definition of it, is not having enough to meet necessary needs. That's poor. Uh, being in distress, does that count for being poor? Uh, I think it would. Uh, I think all of these things, being sick, and we, when someone... Uh, is is sick over a prolonged period of time and just can't seem to get better, what do we say? We say they have poor health, don't we? Jesus said, listen, I want you to understand something. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know why? Because they're not looking inside. They're looking to me. That's where our attention needs to be. My grace is sufficient. You know, the children of Israel got in trouble. Sunday school. Didn't play in this sermon for go along with Sunday school, but the Lord just works those things out. Children of Israel, they got dissatisfied with God's sufficiency. The manna wasn't enough. The quails that came up in the evening, they they wanted more. And the Bible says God destroyed them before they even enjoyed the, the pleasure that they were, the lust that they were seeking. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Paul said... Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. May I ask you a question today. Are you poor in spirit? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you.
And Lord, I pray that as I have labored to bring forth this truth from Your Word, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to labor to make it understood in the heart and soul of each one here. Lord, there's, I don't believe there would be a person who walked through these doors wanting to attend service here that would have a problem believing God's grace is sufficient. The problem is we can't get it because we're not poor in spirit. Lord, we need you to work in our hearts as you did in the Apostle Paul. There are people in this room this morning that are not saved because they haven't gotten poor enough in spirit to see their need of salvation. Lord, there are people in this room that are just struggling with life. Because they don't understand what it means to be poor in spirit and to have God's grace be their strength. Lord, we're asking that the Holy Spirit would open eyes. That we would grapple with the challenge and the truths in God's Word. And Lord, that Your Word would have power over us and would change us and conform us to the image of Your Son. That we would truly understand that when I'm weak, then am I strong. As we have the verse of invitation, Lord, we pray that people would respond in agreement with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation is just as I am without one plea, 294. If you're here today...